On the 28th of November 1979, an Air New Zealand sightseeing flight TE-901 crashed into the side of Mount Erebus in Antarctica. All 257 passengers and crew on board were instantly killed. At the time here in New Zealand, it seemed like everyone knew someone connected to the tragedy. I knew someone too. Over the years, we've heard a lot of stories about Erebus, the cover-up, the court case, the controversy. But here's some stories you might not know. Hi, I'm Lizzie Oakes, and when I was 10, I lost my nan, Muriel Florence Rose Harrison, to Erebus. 40 years later, I'm a broadcaster, and on this podcast, Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts, I'm speaking with others whose lives have been impacted by the disaster. Episode 2, Journey to Forgiveness. At 18, my brother Mark Head was in the Merchant Navy on a cargo ship at sea when he received the news that Nan, Muriel Harrison, had died on the flight. In our conversation, Mark shares a very real, raw and honest account of his journey to forgiveness. Hi Mark, good to have you here today. It's good to be here, Lizzie. Tell me about your Nan. Uh, My Nan was a very warm person, very loving person. She probably... If I think back to my childhood, she probably stands out as the most loving person I can think of. I remember she was an adventurer when, like, I was really young. She, her and her sister jumped on a ship uh, to uh, the UK and sailed around the Mediterranean and went right around the world and came back. You know, left her husband for that period of time and came back home. And then, of course, the last time I saw her, really, was... um, I'd sailed into Auckland on a ship and uh, she came and visited me on the ship. It was a cargo ship and she was watching all the cargo getting loaded and unloaded and she told me, you know, if I was if I was a boy, I would have gone to sea like you did. And so, you know, part of that adventure in her was that she told me then that she was going to jump on a plane and fly down to Antarctica and, you know, visit the place. And once again, that sense of adventure... Um, she was still living it out in her 70s, you know. And, you know, even as I'm talking to you right now, I recognise that, that that sense of adventure is in me. Loving and adventurous is probably two words that really capture her as a person. What kind of things do you remember doing with her when you were young? Funny, one of the things I remember is staying in a house. She only had a two-bedroom house. but in, in the spare room, they had two beds. And so often when we stayed there, my older sister and I... We would stay in each bed, and there was, she would come and give us food in bed that we never did at home, biscuits, and always the biscuits. Um, we always had Christmas there, and, you know, she lived really close to the beach, so going and seeing her, you'd probably end up at the beach. So she was a bit of an adventurer. How do you think, how did it come about, though? In 1979, jumping on a plane to Antarctica, that would have been a big deal. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was out of the country for that year. I know she went with some friends of hers, so, you know, I can imagine random conversation. So it's really out of the box. I mean, I'd never heard anything like that. I mean, when she told me, I said, wow, they're doing that? Like, I think the uniqueness of it all captured her and, and others, you know, obviously. So you, where were you when you first heard the news of the accident? Well, I, um, I was on a cargo ship sailing from Los Angeles to Wellington, and... I was actually off East Cape. I could see New Zealand. We were just about a day out of um, out of Wellington. In fact, 
yeah, it was like the afternoon and the next morning we ended up in Wellington. I didn't know there were a series of flights. I only thought there was one. So when Nan told me that she um, was going to Antarctica, I, I only knew, I thought there was only one flight. So I imagined she was on the ship and I was, this guy, I actually found out in a really bad way. I mean, I was in a ship full of merchant seamen. You know, they're not known for their gentlemanly behaviour. So one of the guys, like I was a younger New Zealander on an English ship. Oh, he had a plane load of your Kiwis went down in Antarctica and he laughed. So that, that I remember when he told me, I remember I was on the back end of the accommodation block of the ship. I remember I could see East Cape behind him and it hit me in the gut. And I, I remember feeling fear and I got upset and I, I was 18. I didn't really know what to do with that emotion, but my immediate boss, who's the chief officer, Asked me what was going on. I said, I think my grandmother's died in that plane crash. So then um, that afternoon we got a telegram. Somehow a telegram came to me saying that my nan was on the plane. The next morning we came into Wellington Harbour on the ship. It was the most beautiful day. It's probably two days after the plane went down. You know, the harbour ringed by hills. It was just such a beautiful day. And the irony of sailing into such a beautiful place where the only thing in my mind was to get back to Auckland and, you know, be with family. And it was just amazing. I mean, we docked and I was on a plane that that morning and flew straight up to Auckland. And my dad picked me up at the airport and we came and got you from school. That's what I remember. I remember you running out to greet us. And I mean, I was 18 years old, you know, I didn't know what to do with the emotion I had. I didn't know what was going on. And and actually we met the local Anglican minister came around to see us because Nan used to go to his church and he was with us. And I just remember thinking it was cool he was there, but feeling really awkward. I just remember a lot of awkwardness, actually. Like, how do I... What do I do with what I'm feeling, and how do how do I behave? What what what's expected here? And then the weird thing was, we had a memorial service for Nan, even though we didn't have a body, and because uh, she was never identified, of course, didn't have all the DNA testing that we have now. So she's, you know, at a white committee with the remains of those who couldn't be identified. We had some memorial service. I have no memory of it whatsoever. You know, the heart needs ceremony. So that's why we have ceremony. And while we had a ceremony, my heart didn't remember it because we never had a body. It's funny how something like that would be so significant. So for years and years and years, this the, the Erebus disaster in relation to my grandmother lay unresolved within me. It was unresolved within me because, one, we never got a body. Two, there was so much information, misinformation around the crash. You know, Jim Collins got blamed for doing it. With the different reports that came out, it became pretty clear that he was a very, very good, careful pilot and that probably wasn't him. It was something to do with some technical thing that shouldn't have happened. Then this whole cover-up left it unresolved in my heart, but also left me angry. So I was living with a lot of disappointment. Um, One of the things I know in life, I mean, I deal with a lot of people um, and as a result of the work I do for Father Heart Ministries, you know, I help individuals. And one of the key things I see in people's lives, if they won't face the reality of their life, there's no hope of change. But when they do face the reality in their life, 
there is all sorts of hope of real lasting change. And the, the silence and the denial of responsibility that I saw um, sat in me as real disappointment and lay unresolved. And of course, all of this I didn't know until I got to go to Antarctica and visit Erebus. So you came back for a period of time, you came back for... Yeah, I was only back about 40 days in New Zealand, I guess. And then you went back to sea with that stuff. Yes, yeah. So I jumped on a ship and went up to the Persian Gulf. And I mean, I didn't know what to do with it, so I did nothing with it. So it sat there, completely unresolved. But the 25th anniversary we had at, um, you know, up in Parnellia, and um, I, I just really appreciated that we had this 25th anniversary and, you know, it was nice to be there and it was nice to have a lunch afterwards and the food was quite good and all that. But I noticed afterwards, for months, I was angry. And so, again, I'm only just putting it together in this interview. I had all this unresolved grief within me. And not just grief, it was, the whole thing was just unresolved. And if you could understand what had happened and why it had happened and, you know... That w- that helps, but the, there was none of that. And then there's these different reports that, um, you know, big official reports that say different things. And then the I don't know how that guy's name's spelled, Man, Justice Man, seemed to me to be the most sort of accurate. I haven't been into them to know, but it's and then he's being attacked mm. for. It. <clears throat> so I go to this 25th anniversary thing. No, none of the families. Uh, spoke. None of the pilots' family spoke, or none of the staff family. All these official things was just a complete whitewash, as far as I was concerned. Insincere, just really obvious. We want to sort of give uh, acknowledgement to this, but we don't want it to go somewhere. We don't want it to get out of bounds at all. So we're going to keep it very safe. And I was just left really angry, and I'm like, and uh, because I'm a Christian, um, you know, one of the key tenets of our Christian experience is that forgiveness is available for us, and therefore, as as we are forgiven, we can extend forgiveness to others. And really, not because we have to, it's because to not forgive is to not be free. Because fundamentally, God's free, and He wants us. His intention is that we live the life that He lives, and He's free. So when I'm unforgiven, I'm locked up. And so he had to lead me through a process of forgiveness. But the only reason I found that I had forgiveness, uh, needed to forgive, was this anger. Mm. Just, in my mind, people weren't owning their part. And so if someone fronts up to me and says, hey, Mark, we got this wrong, I'm, I'm very open and very forgiving in that environment. But if you lie to me, that takes me to a totally different place. You know, that's where I was, but I recognized that I needed to forgive and I realized, because you were saying, you know, what was your nan like? I felt through their lies, my, my heart, and again, this is probably a very childhood, a childlike or childish approach, was that I felt that she'd been stolen from me. And then they'd lied about it. And so I can't forgive that. But I came to a point where I recognized this is where the Lord's leading me. And I don't want to be stuck there, bitter, angry, bound. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, there would have been someone, I would have got some help with this, but, you know, I had to forgive the airline 
uh, not for the accident, but for cover, for my mind covering it up. And and um, man, there was there was a lot down there. So, but there was a big step forward. And so when, you know, when was it thirty years later? We're at the get together down at Air New Zealand, and Rob Fife gets up and says what he said. I think he was pretty smart about what he said. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's he, you know, there'd just been that crash in southern France um, when they were testing the Airbus. Rob Fife had gone up there. He'd really supported the families, and he'd. The message I got was that he recognised that um, the families, our family, the families of the pilots, and all the staff weren't supported like I saw Rob Fife support the families around that crash. Um, or that Airbus test plane in southern France. So um, there was like what I saw was a recognition and he said, we got it wrong back then, we didn't support you like uh, we could have, and I'm sorry. And I knew they weren't going to come out and, you know, leave, put make themselves open for some sort of legal thing later, but I thought, my God, he's owned it. And, um, and he made a commitment that day that he would fly one representative from every family down to Antarctica. And I didn't believe him. I was quite cynical. Um, I knew some had been flown down even while we were there, but I was quite cynical that they, to believe that that commitment would um, be actually followed completely through. So it was a delight to me that, that Air New Zealand did that. And even when the CEO changed, that there was still a commitment to follow that path. So you flew down to Christchurch, is that right? Yeah, so they, they flew us down to Christchurch, put us up in a hotel, and then we went to Antarctica, New Zealand, I think, you know, had the whole, tried all our gear out, made sure that all our mittens fit and our jackets fit, and then the next morning we headed out really early in the morning and flew down to Antarctica. It was a five-hour flight. They had a specific plane that was for landing down there was really comfortable and um so you flew down there and then you you landed at what McMurdo Sound is that where you land or? We, um I don't know exactly we landed on the Ross Ice shelf okay. which is the Ross Sea and um we flew in you could see Erebus you know as we were landing and I just couldn't take my eyes off it I took a million photos some of them you've seen well, I think like most in New Zealand in 1979 no one had heard of Erebus but after November 1979, there was no one in New Zealand that hadn't heard of Erebus. So this thing, Erebus, just came into my world. And, you know, I didn't even know what that is, but I knew it was a mountain in Antarctica that is forever linked to who we are as a nation. Um, I needed to see Erebus with my own eyes. And it was great when we left. We actually flew fairly near to the site. The plane crashed and the, I was actually in the cockpit and the pilot pointed it out to me. We flew round the summit of Erebus when we left. So seeing Erebus was really significant. We had a we had a like a church service. The guy that led that was really good. He is a I can't remember his name, he was from Christchurch, but he was very sensitive to us and you know, did very much did his Anglican approach to things. Um, but so that was nice that we did all that, but the probably the significant moments for me was one being there at all. Um, to after that service being able to and I videoed this I'll probably show you the video I actually walked away from everyone 
um, and was able to say goodbye to my grandmother and actually let her go. Even though we never got a body, um, it was like I went to the place that she died. I went to the place where she was, you know, where obviously her remains were removed. Um, and I saw the mountain that had just been like this thing hanging in the air around my life called Erebus that had affected me so much. And then, I mean, it was a very tearful time for me, especially then, but I was able to let it go and say goodbye. And just doing that and being able to see Erebus was just so important to my heart. It just answered these things that I even now I can't quite um, fathom. But then after that had happened, I'd seen Erebus, I... um, you know, was able to say goodbye and to be with people that you didn't have to explain yourself to. Um, you could meet them immediately and you go, where were you? Who'd you lose? How did you hear? You know, we didn't have to do that dance of getting to know each other. We had all this in common. And so that made it even more valuable that I could be with others that could tell me their story and where they were. And most of the people I've met, their stories are far worse than mine. They're ongoing... Um, trauma and disaster that came into families' lives as a result of this was just knocked me sideways. Businesses folded, farms being seized. People lost one parent and then the other parent wasn't able to function because the other one had been lost and so then they, in, in actual fact, had lost two parents. It's just, it really shocked me to see that the tragedy was far more re- more far-reaching than the actual people dying, but the outworking in people's families and financially, emotionally. I'd even heard of families that had, you know, parted company from each other as a result of it. It was just, it was just stunning. And of course, in our family, um, we lost our nan, who we really loved, but we we ended up moving to a house by very close to the sea and having a better life. As much as we lost the nan that we loved in a tragic way, she um, gave us a better life. And everyone else I met it had a worse life as a result of it. And it shocked me. The positive upside was that I was now in Antarctica. I'd seen Erebus. I'd connected with people that had a similar experience to I that I had had. Plus, I was able to let my nan go. So now I'm in Antarctica on a beautiful sunny day at Scott Base. Hmm. And so now I can explore. And they were just like, help yourself to Scott Base, you know, like you could just walk anywhere, go anywhere. And I did all of that. And when you go there, you have to drape yourself over the Scott Base sign and get a photo of you. And then, you know, there's a sign down there with North Pole and all these different distances away, how far away London is and all that, you know, and I had photos beside that. And so then it became like I was fulfilling my grandmother's adventure. I thought she'd be quite pleased that I'd got to have this adventure down there um, and, and complete her journey. So that was precious. But I realised, you know, and coming back, that was like that chapter was over. Uh, this this whole thing was such a journey of the heart for me. And I was aware I was um, 
you know, going as one that represented a family. And so I really wanted to do that well by documenting everything as much as I could by bringing things home for everybody. Um, but I, you know, and sitting here talking to you, I realise, you know, I've I've been able to let my nan go. I've been able to let what are, uh, the issues of unforgiveness I saw in my own heart go. Um, and I realise now that while I believe that it should have been handled a whole lot better by the airline and by the government, that's no longer mine to uh, hold on to because in my own personal journey, I've had to uh, forgive and I've had to grow. And an integral part of this whole life that we live is letting go of things. And what's important and what isn't. This is important, but I've realised through this process I've been able to let it go and, I, and, and I've needed to, and there are many things in our lives we need to let go of. So it's been wonderful that I've been able to do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts. I'm Lizzie Oakes. Thanks to Scott Gillen, my audio engineer, and to Rima Media for their support. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Reverend Richard War, who championed the National Memorial. To subscribe, go to Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts on iTunes, Spotify, or erebusengravedonourhearts.com.